listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. Imagine you're a rising star in one of the most prestigious and respected firms in the world one day, and the next day you're out of a job because that firm just imploded. What would you do? If you're like my guest today, the first thing you do is take care of your people. Then you sift through opportunities that offer you a great challenge, the opportunity to work in a place that shares your values and, more importantly, allows you to work in an environment that unleashes the potential of both its people and its clients. Today, we're going to hear that story. On the phone with me is a friend and one of my longtime role models and great leader, Mike McGuire. Hi, Mike. Hello, Jeff. Thanks for having me. It's good to hear your voice and good to connect. For the people that don't know you, can you introduce yourself, your name, your title, your role? Yeah, I'm Mike McGuire. I'm the CEO of Grant Thornton in the U.S., and we have 59 offices in the United States. We're part of Grant Thornton International, and Grant Thornton International has 50,000 people in 135 countries, around 600 offices. So we're a global organization, the fifth largest accounting firm, in, and I'm in charge of the U.S. So I alluded to this in my introduction, but tell our listeners a little about the career path that brought you to this role. Well, Jeff, I started, I actually went to school in the Midwest. And originally a Midwesterner, and back in the early 80s, I, I ended up uh, getting interested in, in kind of the, the Sun Belt. And so I, I interviewed with, at the time, they were the big eight accounting firms, and I got offers from all of them. But, you know, I was really intrigued by Arthur Anderson. And, you know, Arthur Anderson was one that said, you know, we don't care which office you go to. You tell us where you want to go, and you've got a job. Where some of the other firms were saying, well, we, you know, we want you to go to XYZ. Here are these two or three choices kind of directed me where to go. And I just thought right out of the gate, you know, the fact is, is that Anderson said, you know, we want you in our firm and we're going to give you the choice of where you go and what you want to do. And I, I thought at the time, you know, which now was, you know, 30 some years ago, I thought that was innovative and it interested me. So, so I started here about 36 years ago and the firm just started to grow and everything was going well. For 20 years, I was the, uh, ended up the, uh, as, as the Carolina's head of the audit practice, so we had four offices, Charlotte, Raleigh, Greensboro, Columbia. And then all of a sudden, as you mentioned in your introduction, uh, you know, something that I wasn't expecting to happen, Anderson went away in 2002. And so we, the speed at which the firm imploded was shocking, I think, to everybody. And so we had to find a place to go. And so all the firms came knocking and and we ended up, and I can talk certainly more about it later, but, you know, we ended up finding, Grant Thornton was one of those firms that we felt like at the time, I mean, it was a fraction of the size as Arthur Anderson was. And, you know, I think some of our partners are kind of scratching their heads, but I, I felt like that Grant Thornton, I, I thought two things. First of all, I thought the culture of the people I met was phenomenal. And then secondly, I thought if there's a firm that's poised to really take off, it's Grant Thornton. And I, I guessed right on both occasions. So I started with Grant Thornton in June of 2002. And, and so I've been here ever since. I, I was the managing partner of the Carolinas and I, I've been on the U.S. senior leadership team for probably a little over a decade now as in the prior administration under our CEO, Stephen Shipman. I was a chief operating officer there during that administration. And then a little over four years ago, I was tapped to be the CEO 
CEO. So that's what I've been doing here for the last four plus years. I'll never forget flying down to the Carolinas and having a conversation with you for you made that decision. And I made a bold prediction about what would happen if you made that jump. And time has proven me right. Well, I'm glad, you know, I think it certainly takes a lot of work from a lot of people and support from, you know, friends like you and family and the business community and certainly all of my teammates here, uh, you know, at Grant Thornton. And and yeah, it's been a remarkable journey. I mean, it's uh, just so proud of our entire team. And, you know, we're Grant Thornton today is about, you know, six times the size it was uh, back in 2002. And, you know, I think it's really fun. Sometimes I think when things happen, even though it's been, you know, 16 plus years, it, time flies so much, it actually still almost seems like it's yesterday. I, in fact, I had a leadership team meeting yesterday in Chicago with my senior leadership team. And I said, you know, at some point you got to call time out, just stop for a minute and just look back over the last 16 years and kind of see what the firm has accomplished, you know, through a lot of people's hard work. And sometimes when you do that, you know, you, it's nice to pause because we're always looking forward, you know, we're trying to find, you know, transform the industry and, and disrupt the industry. And, and it's just, you know, you can always, we're always looking forward, which is the thing you need to do. But sometimes I think it's good to take a stop and a little rest and look back with your team and celebrate the accomplishments of really everybody in the organization. And that's why you're on this call with me, not just because you're a friend and we worked at, at Anderson, but because of those impressive results. And Grant Thornton, not just in the in the past 16 or so years that you've been in there, but you even identified in them the spark of greatness just waiting to, to be released. You and the team has done a phenomenal job of overcoming so many of the dysfunctions that often exist in professional services or inhibit them from growing. Aligning your strategy and your culture and your brand and your market position, really, because Grant Thornton was in that category of all other or tier two accounting firms relative to where you started. So you've been on this journey for 16 years, but recently you've introduced some cultural, do I call it change or do I call it evolution and something called status quo? Tell me about how you got there, why you're there, where that came from and where you're hoping to get to. Well, you know, I, I, I've been fortunate in my career that I've, I've had a lot of really good mentors. And I certainly, anybody who's listening, I, I, when people ask me for career advice, I say, find a mentor to, you know, find people as a mentor that, find a mentor that does things better than you that you can learn from. You know, if you're not good at public speaking, find somebody who's good at public speaking. If you're not good at project management or whatever, you know, find somebody who's good at project management and you learn from them. And then I also tell people to find mentors, you know, outside of the firm. And so, you know, one of my mentors I've been really fortunate over the years to have is Hugh McCall. And Mr. McCall, he took Bank of America from little North Carolina National Bank, NCNB, the Nation's Bank to Bank of America over a, a period of years. And, you know, he still lives here in Charlotte. I'm fortunate to be able to spend time with him. And, you know, one of the things I learned from him was, uh, you know, Bank of America was growing through a lot of, you know, acquisition. And, and he told me, he said, you know, you want to make sure that if they buy somebody like Barnett Bank or Signet Bank or somebody like that, that you don't want people walking around saying, you know, I'm with Nations Bank or whatever derivation it was at that time and say, I'm Nations Bank or I was I'm Nations Bank, but I'm legacy, you know, a Signet mm -hmm. or legacy, you know, whatever. 
right? And I, I think that anytime you're around people that say it's legacy, you know, you don't really have a focus on the culture. You know, I and my wife and I lived uh, north of Charlotte on a lake, and we had a lot of neighbors that were U.S. Airways, and they used to do the same thing. You know, it's now American, but they used to say, "Yeah, I'm, I'm legacy American pilot, but I'm or U- U.S. Airways pilot, but I'm legacy Piedmont Airlines, or you know, I'm legacy whatever." So that's what I found. I mean, our firm grows a lot. We hire a lot of young people off campus every year. We've been very fortunate to bring in a lot of lateral hire specialists from outside of our our firm, even outside of our industry. And so I, I just tapped on that lesson from Hugh McCall and said, you know, I don't, I want to make sure, I thought we had a great culture, but I want to make sure that we are focused on what it means to be Grant Thornton. What's the Grant Thornton culture? So I would probably, back to your question, would probably say it's a little more of an enhancement. But also, you know, you have to get, when I became the CEO, I had a you know, I had a five-point plan, you know, to be able to drive our strategy. And then I got the structure in line and got the right people in place to be able to do it. But, you know, somewhere along the course of a five-year plan, all of a sudden industry disruption, you know, Clayton Christensen area starts talking about industry disruption, and it's real. So it means that an industry, you know, public accounting industry is about 100 years old. It started really, the industry actually started around 1913 when the, the federal government passed the you know, Federal Tax Act, and then it was enhanced in 33 and 34 with the Securities Acts, and where everybody had, you know, public companies had to file, you know, registered statements or, or statements with the SEC. So, you know, the industry being 100 years old, there hadn't been a whole lot of change over 100 years, but then I could see very quickly that we were going to change. So, how do you change a culture in an environment like an accounting firm? Where, you know, it's typically, you know, it's not a, a changing industry necessarily so much like, let's say, technology or consumer products. So I felt like we had to get the organization ready for change. So I liked our culture, enhance our culture, but then we had to do something different. You had to rapidly change the business because if we want to be able to lead disruption in our industry. So that's what really led to status, status go, as we call it. Status go is really changing the status quo with speed. Now, most people don't think that if you ask people in a word association game and you have a bunch of words on one side and the words on the other side, and one side is accounting firm, you probably wouldn't see on the right side, you wouldn't pick speed if that were one of the words and line those two up, right? Well, we have to. And I think that what that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to accelerate the transformation of our industry to address the disruption. And we want to be in the front of that, not tapping on the brakes because we're afraid of it. We want to be hitting the accelerator because we want to embrace it. So part of the culture that we did, I had to get the culture right to accept that kind of change and that pace of change. That was kind of the first phase of it. Getting everybody to think about what does it mean to be Grant Thornton is another piece of it. And then the last piece of it is what do you have to do to put the pedal to the metal to be able to change the organization even faster than what I thought, you know, four years ago when I first became the CEO. So that's a little bit of what we're trying to do. That part about speed really jumped out at me. And I love the way you articulate that because I've written about what I see as a consultant now dealing with a lot of different firms is that SaaS firms, software as service has supplanted many of my former pure professional services clients. And SaaS companies are really the professional services firms of the future, in my mind. And in many respects, 
they're giving away so much of the intellectual capital that professional services firms used to see as proprietary and very different and valuable in order to get subscribers or enhance that subscriber experience and continuously adding value. And what I hear you saying, Mike, is that's your mindset, even though you you didn't associate it with a SaaS type of model, it is that speed of change that you're talking about. Yeah, it is. And I think that, you know, our clients expect that. I mean, you know, we want to be ahead of our clients, which is, is where we are. And we have clients that look at things and if we can experiment with new technology, new processes, new ways of doing business, and we then perfect it in our organization. I mean, we have a lot of our clients that come to us and say, well, how are you handling this? What are you doing? And so we feel like if we call ourselves client zero, we want to be the first one. We treat ourselves as a client. And then we say, okay, what are some things that we can do to improve the way way we run our business, the way we engage with our people, the way we engage with our clients, and the way the kinds of innovative services that we provide to our clients and innovative thinking. And I think if we can do that, especially with ourselves, it's pretty easy because as we start doing these things, you get yourself to a point where everybody in the organization feels comfortable talking about it. I'll, I'll take us back, you know, to the Anderson days. You know, one of the things I was really impressed with in the early days when I started Arthur Anderson, I started before we had personal computers. So you know, I'll be honest here, you know, we were doing a lot of stuff on paper, but I remember we got our first IBM PCs, XTs, ATs and things like that. But, you know, Anderson as an organization was always, you know, we started out with PhysiCalc. And I remember when we moved to the mic, we were early adopter on the Microsoft platform. We were an early adopter. We were one of the first organizations, I think, globally to have global Lotus Notes. <laughs> but, but, you know, when you think about that, it, it did two things. We would show up our, our clients with the latest technology, right? And we could answer any question because that's the way we ran our business. I remember in the early days of Microsoft Excel, you know, clients would come to me and say, how do you write a macro for this or something? That was a pretty minor thing for us, but they could go to anybody in the organization. And I don't know if you were with the firm, you're, you're younger than me, but you know, when the firm went out at Anderson, went out and bought everybody a compact personal computer, the kind of the one that looked like a piece of luggage, you know, which today I actually still have mine, believe it or not. But you had that thing and now it looks pretty clunky and outdated and dinky little green screen on it. But when we showed up at a client with that technology, it was like, wow, I'm dealing with a firm that is way ahead of where our organization is. I'm with the right organization. So that's what we want to be able to do. We want to be able to be always be in front of our clients. And, you know, like I say, when we do this and it's kind of, you know, that's the way we operate within the organization. Any one of our people, you know, or nearly, you know, 9,000, 8,800 people in the United States, for, for example, you know, for under that work here, you know, in the U.S., I mean, they, they can talk about it because, you know, we're all living and using the same kind of thinking, same kind of training, same kind of process, the same kind of technology. So I think it makes us better business advisors. I read a quote on Grant Thornton. It was from one of your clients, and it's a compliment that I just... I would love to receive, you know, in any business that I led because it says something powerful and it encapsulates what you just, what you just said. 
but it was Grant Thornton punches above its weight class and that you're able to get your partners to focus on solving problems without getting their individual performance metrics in the way. And I talk a bit about those conflicting dynamics of metrics and culture and protecting relationships in the BS of PS. But when the clients even say that, and in how and impressed with how you get the culture to work, that's saying something. Well, you know, I, one of the things that we have, and, and you know, I, I said that, you know, in, in my view, you get the strategy. First, you ought to get, you, you got to get agreement on the strategy, and then you've got to get the structure to enable that strategy, and then you get the right people to run it, and, and then, you know, you execute it. So we've done some different things. We've looked at the industry differently, and I think a lot of times in professional services, it doesn't matter whether you're an accounting firm or a law firm or an architectural firm or whatever in professional services, a lot of them are very siloed, right? You can have a law firm bankruptcy practice mm-hmm. versus a litigation practice versus a corporate finance practice. You're, you know, they're different, and, and it's hard to get everybody, you know, you basically become kind of a consolidation of a bunch of silos. And, and that happens, you know, in, in accounting firms too. You know, you're either an audit tax or advisory, but even within those various areas, there, there's silos within silos. You know, I said sometimes, you know, organ, professional service organizations have more silos than the state of Iowa. What we try to do, <laughs> my wife has me in Iowa, which is why I say that. But I, I, you know, if you think about it, it's silos that drive an organization. Silos, it becomes an, an individual silo or service line or service offering, for example. And then the people within that become siloed. So what we try to do is we structure the organization completely differently. You know, all of our resources, I mean, I, I made t- two major structural changes. So it, it's basically it's a two-step process to get us to where we are we are a flat organization that's as flat as a pancake in terms of decisions that we make. We took all the people and put them in, in our three service lines, audit, tax, and advisory. So they took them out of the geographies because you had geography silos. So when you create silos and you create service lines, silos within the various service lines or service offerings, the next thing, everybody has a P&L. We had 133 P&Ls several years ago in tax, 133. I mean, some of, the, some of the some of the P&Ls in tax had one or two people in it, you know, and then, you know, how do you manage a P&L with one or two people? How do you have a discussion with somebody if, if their P&Ls are not performing only one of them, right? And so we got rid of all of that. We flattened the organization and we don't have, we only have one P&L and it's called Grant Thorpe. Now that is a hard thing to do. <laughs> That's part of that change management or change process that I don't think our organization would have been able to do four or five years ago before we changed our culture and got people to be curious and embrace change. You know, we, we try to have tell everybody assume positive intent, you know, give something a chance of succeeding before you start knocking it down, you know, and, and then you start getting people who might be stalwarts, you know, who want to experiment a little bit and then they say, Hey, you know, it's not so bad after all. So one of the things that we, so we did that. So structurally that is a major Undertake, And then when you do that, you layer in your culture. And our, one of our culture principles is how big is the team you're playing on? And what that really means is when you get ready to do a project, you look around and you say, what skills are we missing? Who are we missing? What area is not represented here in our organization to show up? And so we show up differently. You, we, we've got people from different service lines and different offices because we don't care about that. We're very, we care about serving the client and getting the right people in to serve the client. And I hear, you know, a quote like you just read, but I have clients tell me that all the time. They say to me, Mike, I want to tell you, your team shows up differently. 
And we got the most creative result from you of anybody we talked to, and, and they named all the firms that you would know. And I think that that is mainly because of the culture we had that drove the structural change and the embracement of the structural change that we had, and then layering our culture on top of it with how big of a team you're playing on. So we believe in diversity, you know, diversity of thought, diversity of service line, you know, gender diversity, you know, diversity of geographies. I mean, everything. And so, you know, you can put posters up about diversity all you want to all day, but you got to operationalize it. And what I think is a real secret sauce of our firm is that we bring a really creative team. I'll give you an example, a really short example, but, you know, we, we had a situation where a company was doing an acquisition and every one of our competitors showed up with their transaction team, right? The transaction silo of of advisor. We showed up, we had an audit partner, a tax partner, a tax M&A partner, a merger integration partner. You know, we had an IT partner because they're going to have to do some things there. We had a change management person. We had human capital. I mean, you know, we don't always show up with a cast of thousands, but we felt like that that team could answer anything. And that client came in and said, you know, I don't know how you guys pulled this off, but you know, you, you just, you just showed up with the right team. And you, you, because of the diversity of that team, we brought up things that they hadn't even thought of. But if we had just come with one solution, you know, it would not have been the same result. So that's why I think our teams feel very comfortable that, that just get the right team there to serve the client and we're going to come up with a, a, a differentiated solution. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal. Divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. There was another quote that I, I read related to that, that, and this was an internal quote this time from one of your managing principals, I believe, that says, Grant Thornton gets right what matters most. What is that thing in your culture that your people think matters most? Certainly at the top of the list is quality. I think in quality, you know, when you, when you have excellence in quality, that's, that's part of what our, our, our values are. And I think, you know, clients want to know that we have quality. I'm very, very proud, you know, the quality results in our firm and the feedback and the, the, our client satisfaction is exceptionally high and among all of our projects. So I think if you get the quality right in the first place, it cascades, you know. So just back to my earlier example, if you want to have a quality result with a client in terms of and deliver the highest quality, you know, advice to your clients. Well, then you're gonna, you know, you're gonna make sure that you've got a very diverse team and get the right people to be able to do that. You know, and then underpinning all of that is collaboration. You know, you can't put the right team together unless you have collaboration. And now you've got diversity of thought, which leads to curiosity, and curiosity brings more creative solution. If you're following this, it's a logical step, and it just cascades off of that. And I think that our, you know, having people who realize that if we get it right with the clients and the clients are happy, our business grows. But also our people are more engaged because they feel like they're unleashed and you use, you know, we call it unleashing our potential, as you mentioned in your opening comments. And now they're like, wow, you know, I mean, I'm getting different experiences and, you know, it just feeds on itself. You know, we're tipping our culture now to innovation, which I'm happy to talk about a little bit later. But, you know, you don't have innovation without curiosity. I mean, you know, I would say Thomas Edison was a highly curious 
curious person. I would say Jeff Bezos today is a highly curious person. And so you have to have that. But if you're constrained in your thinking, you're not going to, and or you feel like you have limitations and you can only touch things that you're assigned to do, and you're going to do the same thing over and over and over again, that's pretty constricting. And, you know, last time I checked, you know, constricting people's thoughts and restricting the things they can do and confining them is certainly not something that is conducive to a culture of curiosity, which then leads to a culture of innovation. And quite honestly, you know, a culture where the people are highly engaged and feel valued and feel like that, you know, they can experiment and, and have fun and grow and develop. And our clients get the benefit of all that. So it all comes together. All of, you know, it's, it comes full circle and it's, it's hard to get it right. But when it, it starts to, you know, get in line like that, it, it's, it's fun to watch. I, I'm so proud of my teams. I sit back and, you know, I'm not the chief executive officer. I'm like the chief admiration officer. I mean, I sit <laughs> back and admire the things that, that my teams do. And, you know, and the kinds of things that our clients say about them, I'm just so proud of them every day. I just, you know, I can barely stand it. I mean, it's just about busting buttons off of my shirt, you know, uh, with pride at hearing people talk about my teams. It's funny that you say that. I often equate leadership with being a parent. And some people misconstrue that. They think it's, you know, kind of condescending to say something like that, like you're managing children. I think real leaders get what that means in that the whole job of the leader is to help others be successful and unleash that potential. And you do it because you enjoy seeing them succeed so much. You're not threatened by their success. You're empowered by it. And then those leaders help their teams do the exact same thing. And that's what I hear you describing in yourself and your team. Oh, yeah. I've been in this business, like I said, for for a long, long time. And, you know, to me, the thing is, is I get such a kick out of watching our people succeed and watching young people. I mean, you know, I like I say, I mean, it takes you about, you know, 13 years, 12 years, 13, 14 years, depending on, you know, your track, you know, to, to make partner in our firm. And, you know, one of the things we put in place a number of years ago is that, you know, we have a signing celebration, you know, where we, I signed the, you know, the, the partnership agreement. You know, there's one page there and it has my name, the, the, people, the, the new partner signs it and then I signed it as the witness. Now I see the people that I'm signing these for are, are people that I remember recruiting when they were coming off college campus. <laughs> And I'm telling you, it is emotional. I'm so choked up, holding back the tears and hugging them. And, you know, I mean, I, it's just I'm so darn proud of them. It's the best night of any, you know, when you see your people succeed, you know, your teammates and all that succeed like that. And, you know, we, we make a real big deal out of it because it is a big deal. I think my whole handkerchief is soaking wet, you know, because I can't stand it. You know, I can't hold it back. I mean, I, I get goosebumps. I mean, it just makes me so proud to see it and the things that they've accomplished in their careers. And I, and I remember when they came in just right off a of college campus and, and see them up there signing a partnership agreement. Wow, that's pretty, that's pretty special. So our listeners are beginning to appreciate, I am sure, why I introduce you as a long-term role model, because you've always been this way. You mentioned recruiting and how these young people evolve and reach partner and unleash their potential. I wanted to ask you a couple of quick questions about that. Does Grant Thornton have an ideal recruit that it's looking for when it goes out to, to campuses? Or even if they're experienced hires, do they have some ideal recruit? 
Yeah, you know, we look for a lot of behavioral attributes. You know, I mean, I think certainly in our business, uh, you know, the, the, you know, everyone, you got to have the cognitive, you know, intellectual horsepower. I mean, we're we're a professional services firm, and there are a lot of certifications required. You know, through you know, we've got a lot of people who are JDs, have their law degrees in taxation, and CPAs, and and any number of designations that that people have. So. You know, I mean, you have to have our, our, our people have the cognitive ability, which is pretty easy to, you don't have to really test that. I mean, because, you know, rigorous programs in school. So, you know, they obviously, so they have to have the cognitive ability. And then, then it gets into the differentiators around behavioral attributes. And I think certainly, you know, one is curiosity. I mean, I think we want to have people that, that can build relationships as well and, and can be curious because, you know, at the end of the day, clients don't come to us, you know, some of them have a special project that they want you to do. They have a pretty good idea what it is. It's not that they come to you with a special project. They come to you with a business problem. Okay. And, and so, you know, you have to have the relationship the skills and the curiosity uh, to be able to probe and try to get to the heart of the problem and, and try to, and then that's why we bring other, when this, I was talking about how big is the team you're playing on. So, you know, I, I think, you know, getting the problem defined is a, is a big thing here. And so that those those attributes are really important. You know, I, I, I get questions. All, I meet with a lot of students, a lot, you know, on university campuses, and certainly those that are interviewing with us. And some of them ask me, you know, what's the difference between the academic world, you know, the you know from college, what's it to transition from college into you know full time work at Grant Thornton? And I said, well, you know, in college, you're, you're given the problem, and you got to try to figure out the solution, right? In the real world at, at Grant Thornton, the, you know, the solution is generally easy. I mean, easy is probably too, you know, probably, you know, not, it's not always easy, but once you get the problem defined, my goodness, I mean, we've got people, all 50,000 people around the world. We've got some of the best consultants and tax advisors, and, or I think the best consultants and tax advisors and, and accountants and, and specialists in the world. So, you know, if you have a problem or a client has a problem, what we do is we keep asking questions to try to define the problem. Because once you once you have the problem defined and you say, okay, there are really no more questions to ask. We got it. Then you can unleash the potential of our firm and solve the problem. So it's different because in college, you're given the problem. you got to figure out the solution. Here, the solution is easy. you got to figure out and define the problem. So that whole curiosity to me is one of the clear attributes of the people we have. And certainly we hire to values and we hire to our culture. I mean, listen, you know, we do not, whether it's experienced hires or on campus, I mean, if we don't feel like somebody is, for whatever reason, is going to be a fit with us culturally or, or whatever, you know, we don't even start. We want to have people who, who fit within the organization rather than get going. And I would just say, Lastly, you know, there are other attributes that I think can really help. And, and certainly one of them, in my view, is grit. You know, people with grit don't quit, is what I like to say. And, and that means, you know, if you have grit and you're curious, you're going to stick in there and you're going to ask the next question, right? And a lot of times the difference between a successful project and a highly successful project is what I call the next question. And do you have the curiosity and the courage and the grit to ask the next question? So those are some of the things that we hire for. You know, I'm, that's why I'm so excited and why I enjoy working here is because we just have an organization of people that have those attributes. 
and they're a heck of a lot of fun to be around. You know, I think our average age is around 26, I think, in our firm. So, you know, we have a high percentage of, you know, millennials or Gen X, Gen Z, Gen Y, everything, but, you know, all, the, all those generations. But, you know, it's interesting, Jeff, I've got our, our leadership meeting coming up next week, our annual partners meeting, and one of my speakers is Gene Kranz. And Gene Kranz was the flight director of the Apollo program, all, you know, lunar landing to Apollo. He's played in the movie Apollo 13. He's played by Ed Harris, you know. He's a guy that said failure is not an option. And that guy, in in my view, he's going to come in, and I talked to him the other day, just kind of prep for our fireside chat after his uh, after his speech. And I said, Gene, what was the average age of the engineers in the Apollo program there at Mission Control? And he said 27. And I thought, boy, that's really interesting. Ours is 26. So we put man on the moon with an average age of the engineers in the room of 27. Ours is 26. So, hey, look, we got a lot of things we can accomplish as an organization because we got a heck of a lot of talent. And being around, you know, our young folks like that is just an inspiration for me every day. I mean, I don't know what I'm going to do. I have to retire at some point down the road. My wife's not going to want me to work, you know, forever. And I don't know. That's the biggest fear of retirement for me is how do I replace that daily stimulation of being around creative young people who have the, the grit and the values and culture that we want? I, I, I'll miss it. I, I don't know. I, maybe I'll ask. Maybe I'll negotiate my retirement that I get to come in and spend time with people every day. But, uh, I'd do it for free because I miss I miss it. 16 years ago or in in Carolina, I made a bold prediction. After just hearing what you just said right there, I am going to extend you a reciprocal offer. And when you retire in 2021, you can come yeah. work at Prudent Pedal for free. Okay. Okay. For free. There you go. I, yeah, I like that. I, I was expecting maybe a little less than that. So that's good. <laughs> So, so I want to, I want to wrap up. I know you're a very, very busy executive. You have put together some incredible results. You said you've grown six times where you were when you started. You've achieved annual revenue records this last year. Your client satisfaction scores are impeccable. Your growth among your core market, you know, that mid-market dynamic companies is significant. What's next? Well, I think that, you know, for us, it's about, you know, setting the standard, you know, for the industry from from the point of being uh, disruptive and really transforming the industry. You know, everybody uses a lot of buzzwords around some of the things, you know, everybody talks about new technologies, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning, blockchain, you know, you've, you've heard it all. And you know, I think from our standpoint is, you know, we don't want to just talk about it. You know, we want to lead with it. And, you know, we've made a lot of the investments. And I think that, again, I approach industry disruption and leadership in the same way that I did back, you know, four years ago or four plus years ago. We were coming through this. I think, OK, you know, what's our strategy? What do we want to do about industry disruption and transformation? OK, what's our strategy? Then what's our structure? How do we end up doing this? How are we organizing? And then then, then who are the people that can we can bring in to execute it. So I think we're taking a very unique approach. We're not throwing money at the problem. We're trying to solve it in a very, very creative way. And I I am extremely pleased with where we are. So it's easy to talk about, you know, robotics process automation and, and things like that, but it's harder to apply it. And so 
you know, what I think is great, Jeff, about our organization is because of this lack of silos and this permission to to bring in a team of people from various disciplines, a very diverse team of people to try to solve a problem, you know, we're getting different solutions. And so we're able to innovate. Just last year, actually in August, we haven't publicized this much, but, you know, back in August, we're at July 31 year end. So August, first week of August, we do a thing called Experience Grant Bird. It basically kicks off the year for all of our people. It's a huge undertaking, you know, it's interactive uh, through or it's, it's throughout the entire organization. All the offices, they do them in different locations, but it's broad centrally out of Chicago, and then it has some local office activities and things like that. But we, we launched a, a firm-wide, enterprise-wide innovation platform. And if you think about it, you know, you know, public accounting and professional services, in a lot of cases, are shaped like a pyramid, kind of like the military, right? All the good ideas come from the top, and they move down the pyramid. Well, if you think about that, if you flip that pyramid, it becomes a funnel. And that's what we're doing. We're, we're letting, as I mentioned, all of our young people, these 26-year-old average you know, folks are, are out, and they're so creative and they're so talented. And if you flip that funnel, the ideas are coming in. So, so this innovation platform is allowing us to get our people to be actually involved in coming up with unique solutions and disrupting the firm. You know, we're putting out a new platform here coming up. We're going to announce it next week, but kind of our employee portal, which is, it's, it's, that's a significant understatement for what it is. But, you know, I had a meeting on it a couple of days ago, and I said, you know, we're putting it out in a beta. And what we're gonna, what the interesting thing is, it's kind of our knowledge management platform, but it's a, it's a whole portal, you know, for our people. But instead of throwing it out and trying to get it perfect and saying, we, we figured this out, we're throwing it out there as a beta. And part of the exercise is for all of our people to, to go through. There's a, there's a link to our innovation platform is how would you make this better? And letting our people create their own experience. And it's very personalized, but you know, it's almost like, you know, today, if you, if you go out on the app store and Apple and you got, you have an app and you like it, but you always think, Hey, God, wouldn't it be great if this did this, 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 and this? Well, that's okay, but who do you go tell? You don't go out and call Apple. I mean, you know, but if, if, if you build that in and somebody said, okay, here's your app, you know, how do you go in and, you know, how do we improve the app? It just surprises me sometimes, Jeff, how many organizations don't ask, don't get involved and ask their customers what they want. They, they tend to, I call them ta-da moments, you know, they, they tend to spend a lot of time and then they have their unveiling and they go, ta-da, you know, well, you know, it may or may not be what, what people want. So we're, we're not going to have a ta-da moment with our portal that we have. It's not really a portal. I don't want to give away too much on a public broadcast, but you know, it's, it's just going to be really interesting. So, you know, we're living our values of allowing our people to innovate be curious, and create their own experience. And you know what? We're going to have the best tool in the industry because we're not developing this with three people going to an outside vendor. We're developing this with, you know, 8,800 people on our innovation platform saying, wouldn't it be nice if we had this, this, and this? And I, it's just going to just take off. I can't wait to just watch it. So it'll be a better experience for everybody. So I, I think that's a huge thing about what we're trying to do here in the organization and going forward. So we're going to be, you know, we want to be, as I, I said one time, I was misquoted on this, I guess, but you know how sometimes these things are. I said, somebody asked me, what do you view for Grant Thornton? I said, I want the quality of Mercedes, the performance of BMW and the innovation of, of Tesla. But then it says, you know, Mike McGuire wants Grant Thornton to be the Tesla of the industry. You know, I kind of came out that way, but, but that's not exactly what I said. 
but I want us to be the most innovative firm. And I'm not saying that to put it on a poster. I mean it. And that's what we're going to do. And I think our people are going to have a completely different experience. Our clients are going to have a different experience. And I think it's going to be what drives our organization, you know, over the next, you know, five to 10 years. And I'm excited about it. It is exciting. And it sounds like what's next is status go. We are ready for status go. We're already in status go. I met with my innovation team a couple of days ago and I told them, I said, look, I just want you to know that I don't want you just hitting the accelerator. I want you to stomp it through the floorboard. And, you know, listen, hey, if something doesn't work, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's design thinking. I mean, you know, we're going to experiment on some things that we do. And if it works, great. And we'll, do it. If it doesn't work, we're not going to take, you know, we're not going to fire somebody and, you know, around innovative kind of thinking and creative kind of thinking about some things. I mean, we're going to, we want to reward people for that. So it's good. Well, if I know Mike McGuire and I think I do, it's going to turn out golden. Thank you, Jeff. And I tell you, it's way, way, way more than just me. I'm, like I said, I'm the, I'm the one that sits back and, and admires the great work that all of our people do. I mean, I, I just get so much out of I was just up in our Detroit office last week with the whole office. And I mean, the, the creativity and the energy. I mean, it is I'm just one person in this organization. And, you know, I, I, it's, it's a privilege for me and an honor for me to just be, you know, one of the many here at our firm and, you know, helping us drive status go. So it's fun. Listeners. That's what a leader sounds like. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, Jeff. Always good to talk with you and uh, hope you have a great holiday. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher. 